show on this late Friday evening. Happy holidays, everyone. Glad to be back with you as I am here every Friday night. And uh, do we have a holiday show for you? I'm psyched. The legendary Gene Shepard will join us. We're going to talk to Mr. Shepard. After the 20 Sports Flash, we'll... Uh, do a little intro here and then get to um, Gene Shepard and do some calls, take some calls from you as well. Many of you remember uh, Gene Shepard from WR days here years ago, and uh, the man just amazes me. <laughs> I was saying uh, the more I learn about him, the more I learn there's lots more to learn about Gene Shepard. So we'll, and he's such a huge sports fan, so we're going to get into not only his career and and some of his thoughts on uh, on what's going on in the in the world today, but also he's such a big sports fan and and um, was a great athlete at one point. So we'll talk sports with Gene Shepard uh, in a couple minutes. Now, a lot of New Yorkers remember Gene Shepard from his nightly show on WOR Radio. I personally was not in New York at the time, but those of you who were, including my husband. Still rave about Gene's menagerie of stories and comments and outrageous hoaxes that he masterminded and weaved into his radio show. And we'll ask him about some of those tonight. And then many of you might have caught Gene's articles in the Times, the Village Voice, Playboy, or, or heard his live broadcasts from a nightclub in the Village. Or perhaps you saw him performing on Broadway in uh, New Faces, Tender Trap, The Turtle or watched his television specials on the New Jersey Network called Gene Shepard's America and later on PBS, Shepard's Pie. And perhaps many of you have read his books. In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories, A Fistful of Fig Newtons, to name a few. But how many of you, I'm sure you didn't know this, Jerry, how many of you knew that Gene Shepard played minor league baseball and did play-by-play -play of the Cards Yankees World Series for Armed Forces Radio Network. And narrated sports specials, including the Tour de France for CBS Sports, with his friend, former producer for CBS, Eddie Einhorn, Eddie Einhorn now part owner of the Chicago White Sox. Well, I mean, that's only scratching the surface. I mean, this guy has done so much, and the more I read up on him, the more fascinating the information was. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and get Mr. Shepard on the line. We'll do a sports flash first so we don't have to interrupt our interview with him. And we'll take your phone calls here, 718-937-6666. Don't go away. This weekend and... Jerry may not remember Gene Shepard, but I bet you do. Oh, vaguely. Rebecca. Vaguely. I do yeah. definitely remember a Christmas story. Yeah. It's not Christmas without that movie. Have you, do you see it every year? Every year. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> I am telling everybody who hasn't seen it to rent it. It's not Christmas unless that's on HBO or, or on Channel 11 or something on. I mean, it's so much fun because you can see so much of yourself in that movie. Plus, it takes place in Cleveland where I grew up. Right. And I recognize Higby's and you know, Public Square downtown and the Terminal Tower. And you know, I can see myself in, in Higby's department store. Uh, going to visit Santa Claus, just like uh, little Ralphie did. Um, but it, it was just, he, you know, this guy has so much talent, and uh, he has, has had such a diverse career. It's, it's, 
and he can talk about anything. And so when he comes on in a few minutes, we're going to talk a lot about uh, not only his career, but um, his association with sports, because he's a huge Chicago White Sox fan. His father always uh, rooted for the, the White Sox. He grew up in the Midwest, went to a lot of games, did a lot of commentary, baseball commentary, and even played in the minor leagues with the Cincinnati Reds. So we're going to take a quick break and then come back with Gene Shepard. Uh, there it is. My house. The good old Cleveland Street. How could I ever forget it? And there I am. With that dumb round face and that stupid stocking cap. Oh, but no matter. Christmas was on its way. Lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas around which the entire kid year revolved. Of course, that is the beginning of a Christmas story, which was written and narrated by the great Gene Shepard, who joins us now live. Hey, Gene, how are you? There you are, Anne. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back on the show. We, oh, we are a pleasure. We are delighted. We are delighted. Oh, and, I'm very pleased. And, you know, that movie, I just rented it again today to see it, that movie, A Christmas Story, just rekindles so many childhood memories in me and feelings, and, you know, you can't help but to empathize with Ralphie, who, who wanted that Red Ryder BB gun so badly for Christmas, more than anything else in the whole wide world. And, you know, you, you brought the viewer right inside the home and, and, the, and the life of, of this young kid and his American family and in, the, in the 1950s during the holidays. And it's just a classic. And, oh, thank um, you. And I know you had told me uh, a little earlier that that was one of the biggest thrills of your career. Well, you know, sure, you know, when you have a hit movie, that has to be. Even Tom Hanks is thrilled when he has one. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, this is this is a big, big thrill. Sure, you've you know, you've got a movie on the wide screen, and and it's showing all over the world. And uh, whenever MGM sends me uh, royalties and all that, I get royalties from places like Holland and Israel and, <laughs> and India. And I often wonder what in the world they think of it over there. You know? <laughs> well, if you're getting royalties from, from there, I'm sure they love it. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, foreign countries are mysterious when it comes to movies. The things that we like, they often don't, and vice versa. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. What? Tell me about the day when you, you, were, you said you were driving up to New England and you happened to pick up the newspaper. Yeah, it was uh, U.S. News and World Report, and uh, you know that uh, that you know that daily sure, paper. Sure, sure. And uh, there was a uh, it had come out and it opened about oh about a week before that, and uh, I didn't hear anything. Of course, we were up in Maine, and and uh, that's far out of the Hollywood orbit. <laughs> and <laughs> that's why I was up there, by the way. And we were driving along, and I picked up a paper at uh, at one of the restaurants on the turnpike, and uh, I was just glancing at it. Uh, we were st we stopped and had a hamburger, and I said, "For crying out loud, here's a here's a still picture from our movie on the front page, right there in the middle of the uh, front page of the paper." That was kind of unusual, and uh, it just said, uh, "Smash." Uh, hit by a sleeper i don't know uh, you know anything that they haven't publicized is called a sleeper <laughs> <laughs> well that, that must have been thrilling just to oh, see that. oh yeah you know come on i mean here it was uh 
uh, you know, our movie was just out. And when, when, when a movie hits, uh, hits the stands, when it gets into the houses, uh, there's a little sense of nervousness about it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, we'll be playing cuts from A Christmas Story all night long. Uh, I just can't get enough of that story, and, and it's always a thrill to watch it. Now, I, you know, most of your fans, Gene, know about you as a writer and as an actor and as a humorist and, and a radio, TV, and film personality, but I don't know how many of your fans really knew the extent to which you were an athlete and, um, and, a, and a sports commentator. You grew up as a, a, a very good football and baseball player. <laughs> well... Uh, not as good as I should have been, or I would never have gotten into into showbiz. <laughs> well, you played minor league ball. Tell yeah, us I about played that. ball. Yeah, I played baseball, and uh, you know, I, I I was never very very serious about it. You know, that's one thing about uh, that particular profession. You know, professional athlete, you have to throw everything you've got into it. You've got to really believe in it, and I did it because it was fun. Uh, you know, it was. I had a chance to play, and I played, and I had enough natural talent to get by, but I, I was never really, uh, you know, serious about it, as serious as some of the guys that, that are around today are. And so uh, when I had the chance to uh, uh, to branch out and, and uh, do other things, I took it. It was all there was to that. Well, talk a little bit about how your baseball career ended, though. It was a, a pretty dramatic slide. Well, I got hurt, actually. Yeah. I, uh, I was uh, uh, sliding into third base, and I, I cracked a bone and uh, hurt, really hurt, you know. <laughs> I staggered around, and, and they finally t uh, carried me off the field, and I had a gut feeling that I've had enough of this. My goodness, you broke your hip. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it still hurts me. But uh, that's the story of that, and I haven't thought about that for years. I don't know why you're dragging <laughs> well, up this stuff. Well, I know, but I, I like talking sports with you because I know you have such a sports history, and I wanted to share it with our audience. And you even did play-by-play -play, uh, yeah, of a I, baseball game. Uh, yeah, that's right. One of the first things I did when I got into, uh, uh, into you know, show, uh, really showbiz is that I did uh, some play-by-play -play in, in, uh, in Toledo. Uh, I was working for a station, and they wanted me to do the play-by-play, -play, which I did for a, for a season of the Toledo Mud Hens, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I I began to get that 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 itch, you know, the bug. And I thought to myself, well, gee, you know, this is really great. And uh, I uh, did some football at fall. Uh, this was the Toledo University games. And I, I uh, realized that uh, this was a pretty good business. So one thing led to the next, and uh, I wound up in New York playing Carnegie Hall and blowing my kazoo and having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> but you also did some work from Armed Forces Radio Network. Yeah, and that's right, yeah. Covered a World Series, which you were saying earlier was one of the first ever satellite uh I guess satellite-fed Well, fed actually, games. it was the first. It uh, was. See, uh -huh. at that time, the satellites, which we're now very used to, uh, were exclusively the, the property of the armed forces. You know, they had, the uh, Army, uh, the Air Force and NASA had put these things up to use for navigational and, and uh, transatlantic communications and stuff. They weren't used for broadcasting. So when the armed forces uh, radios... Got, came to me. They said, look, we've got a thing we'd like you to do. 
uh, we we're going to make an experiment with our uh, with our uh, satellite. And I says, "Your what?" He says, "Our satellite." <laughs> he says, "We're going to broadcast the bro- the the New York Yankees and the uh, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals World Series worldwide on this satellite, and we're going to broadcast it to the uh, armed forces guys over in Germany and." and uh, India all over the place, and they'll be able to get it, but this will not be broadcast to the public. And I said, oh, great. They said, well, would you like to uh, uh, do the uh, do the initial broadcast, introduce it and all it, and then do the uh, color on this thing? And I said, sure, you know, wow. color for the New York Yankees. That's sure. Great. I mean, they must have been thrilled, these uh, armed forces. Oh, yeah, the soldiers. My yeah. God, we got mail from everywhere. And uh, it was kind of a thrill to come on with this thing. And I was, I actually came on, and inter- I says, "Now this is the Armed Forces Network. We're going to uh, broadcast the uh, World Series this year, and it's going to be a ball." And, and incidentally, uh, this is the first uh, use of the uh, satellite this way ever. And I, oh God, did we get the letters? <laughs> <laughs> and and from that time on, I I. Uh, I've just had a soft spot in my head for uh, for uh, sports broadcasting. Well, I know you've always been a Chicago White Sox fan. Well, always. Well, of course, you know you're always a fan of the of the team uh, in the town where you grew up. And and since I grew up in Chicago and the South Side at that, which is very important in Chicago's uh, world because if you're a north sider you're automatically a cub fan. Right, right. And so I was on the south side and naturally I was a fan of the as they always said in uh, on WGM the hapless white Sox. <laughs> well, I remember um, about 2 hours ago a, a, one of your fans called yeah. called me in the newsroom and said ask him about the time uh, the Yankees were in town, and his father took him to the game, and and they were they were yelling at Lou Gehrig, and all of, and Lou Gehrig had a couple homers that day. Oh, Do you remember well, that story? Don't forget, I'm a I'm a storyteller, not, <laughs> not a historian. <laughs> but my my old man had a had a particular hatred for the New York Yankees. Now this is a, a common thing among. People around the country. So you guys are all living in New York and all. You just assume everybody loves the Yankees, but that ain't so, buddy. <laughs> I remember uh, people used to go out to the uh, White Sox games just to boo the Yankees. Well, you know when the Yankees were in town, and the White Sox hardly ever beat them. And uh, my old man had a particular hatred for Lou Gehrig. Because I think he saw in Lou Gehrig the ultimate and the quintessential uh, Yankee. I mean, you know, he he just looked like a Yankee, and he had that big number on his back, and he had a he had a he pull his hat down a little bit low over his eyes, and he'd take those quick left-handed cuts up there at the plate, and he used to drive the old man crazy. There was nobody on the White Sox that looked anything like that. I mean, Gehrig looked dangerous, whereas the White Sox always looked a little scared. So uh, <laughs> when, we, when we went out there that Sunday, the old man, we, we had seats out in, uh, in the, where he loved to sit. He liked these seats. It wasn't that he, could, he couldn't afford better ones, but he liked to sit in the right field bleachers. 
up high. Uh, the the uh, it was on the second deck actually. So right. You can really look down and see the whole field. He just used to wave his arms around. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we're out there. It was packed. There were you know the only time the White Sox ever sold out in those days was when the Yankees went down. Because you know the the sure. Yankees with uh, uh, Lou Gehrig and with. Uh, Joe DiMaggio and Phil Rizzuto and all these legends. Right. You know? We didn't have legends. We had a bunch of little guys in uniforms that should have been cleaned a month ago. <laughs> so <laughs> we're sitting up there in the stands, and the old man had a great voice. He uh, he 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 just had a good voice. And and now that I look back on it, I I, I think I inherited a little of his voice. You know this this booming voice. And he used to sit up there and look, watch the watch the Yankees take batting practice. And it was kind of kind of quiet out there because the game hadn't started and the stands were filling up. And the old man started to holler at, at Lou Gehrig. Oh my goodness! Uh, but with his voice, he he'd say things like, "Hey Gehrig, you're a bum." <laughs> And you'd hear it echo throughout the street. Right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he did that about three times, and people kept looking back up to see where it was, you know. And Gehrig is up there taking his cuts. <laughs> so about the fourth or fifth time, uh, you know, that the old man unleashed, unleashed some of these uh, great witticisms, uh, as fans are always, you know, they got great senses of humor. And he's bellowing out, oh, you don't have a chance against the White Sox, you know, wow. All of a sudden, Garrick looked up there, and he he turned on a ball inside. The batting practice pitcher was throwing inside balls a little high to him. And he turned on that thing, and he drove that up into the upper deck right at the old man. <laughs> I mean, you were talking a cannon shot here. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Well, and Take it that, hit, hit the seat there. The old man flipped back, and all the people are hollering at the old man. You know, they like, oh, shut up, for God's sake. You're getting Garrick mad. Because <laughs> if you ever get the Yankees mad, forget it. The game's over. Oh, my gosh. I know you um, obviously were in New York for uh, a, a long time. Long and followed... time. I, I owned the town, Ann. I know you did. I still consider myself in New York, and I consider myself a New York. That's good to know. I mean, I just did this. I've been studying your career the last couple of days, and I said earlier, the more I learn about Gene Shepard, the more I learn there's lots more to learn about Gene Shepard. And um, I tell you, I mean, the the intriguing thing about, one of the intriguing things about your career is how many layers there were. And you did so many things at the same time. And you had such such a variety of, of outlets, um, you know, from, from the... Uh, the, the radio show to the the nightclubs downtown. I had my own television show I know. in New York for years. I know. On PBS? Uh, no, on WOR-TV. Okay. But you did Shepherd's Pie? Oh, and PBS came much later Is in that my right? career. Uh -huh. No, no. Was there any pr one particular medium that, that you enjoyed over another, or or uh, did you like the variety? Well, I I always uh, I always looked upon mediums as more or less just a mechanical device. Uh, I never really uh, yeah. I guess there are some uh, some areas of certain media that I like better than others. I don't think there's anything more exciting than the live stage. Uh, you know, I played Carnegie Hall four or five times, 
And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing like coming out on that stage with 4,000 people out there in the audience and doing your thing. And uh, it's just a just an indescribable thrill. And uh, I also loved uh, acting. Acting was always fun for me. Oh, I know you were on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, I, I Yeah, I was on uh, New Faces. Uh, that was a Broadway review done by a man named Leonard Silman. It was very popular for a long time. He used to do one every four or five years. I was the New Faces of 1961, and uh, it was it was wonderful. I enjoy Broadway. I enjoy acting. Well, I mean, you had so much going on. You were also um, doing these live acts. For, well, you know, it's interesting. Most of my radio listeners, I, one thing I discovered about radio people is that they really aren't interested in anything else. Uh, most of my radio listeners never came to my uh, stage shows. Hmm. Uh, in fact, I, they were so uh, innocent of that stuff. I remember one time getting a letter from somebody, from some guy, wrote me from uh, Queens somewhere, and he says, Hey, Shepard, he says, You know, you ought, to, you ought to do something about this. He says, There's a guy playing in a nightclub down in the village who calls himself Gene Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> he never put two and two together, you know? I love it. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a short break here and go to a sports flash. But when we come back, I'd love you to recall um, the, is it the I Libertine story? Oh, Lord, yeah. Oh, my goodness. How did you learn about that? I, I've been doing my homework, Shep. <laughs> we'll be oh. back with the legendary Gene Shepard right after this sports flash. Here's Don LaGreca. WFAN 2020 Sports. Thanks, Dan. We'll start with the NBA. The Knicks snap their six-game losing streak on the road. Big way. They beat up on the Cavaliers 104-77 in Cleveland. Six Knicks were in double figures, including Patrick Ewing with 22. The Cavaliers scored just 13 points in the third quarter. Rest of the NBA scoreboard, Indiana beat Detroit 98-90. to Pistons get their debut of Jerry Stackhouse. He scored 33 points, but Detroit still loses. Washington, a 106-86 crushing of Charlotte. Lakers hold on for a 98-96 victory over Atlanta. Miami, 91. Philadelphia, 84. Toronto edges Milwaukee, 92-91. Houston all over Sacramento, 116-98. And it was Portland, 96. Vancouver, 91. Over at the NHL, the Devils lose for the first time since December 2nd, falling to the Red Wings in Detroit 5-4. The two teams combined for seven goals in the third period, including a hat-trick from former Devil Doug Brown. Earlier in the day, the Devils announced plans to build a $175 million arena in Hope. Very showroom. It's Ann Liguori on the fan. Sports Radio 66, WFAN, New York. Sports Radio 66, WFAN. Grail of Christmas gifts, the Red Rider 200 shot range model air rifle. And there he is, Red Rider himself. In his hand was the knurled stock of as coolly deadly looking a piece of weaponry as ever I had laid eyes on. Of course, that is Gene Shepard who wrote and narrated A Christmas Story, and that was first released in the early 80s, right, Gene? Uh, 85. Okay, okay, and I remember that scene so vividly. I grew up in Cleveland, and so I'm very familiar with Higby's and uh, Public Square. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that a great scene out there? It with, was a great with scene. With the parade and Oh, all yeah, I mean, it just brought back, you know, real uh, memories for me. because We did you, that at, at, at 3 o'clock in the morning when everything was shut down, in, you know, in, in Cleveland. Is it was that night. right? 
And uh, we did that scene at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was 10 degrees. <laughs> oh, oh, I believe that. And it did snow like that when I was there, All too. All the time. <laughs> you know, uh, I was just listening to the scores. Uh, you know, incidentally, uh, I just was was very interested, in, again, that the Indiana NBA team won again. And nobody's mentioning it. I don't know why the sports guys haven't caught on to this thing. Uh, Larry Bird, you know, is the new coach sure, out there. Sure, sure. And he is doing great. Well, you know, when he first became coach, everybody kind of uh, sneered a little bit because they thought, nah, this guy doesn't really have the personality to go out there and, and motivate and oh, uh, lead his, uh, his team to victory. But I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, he doesn't have to motivate. All he has to do is walk out on the floor, and all those guys know they're with a true big-timer. That's a good point. That's and, a good point. And, you know, he, he's there. It's just like having uh, Joe DiMaggio sitting on your bench. You know, you, you know, you, you kind of have respect for him. Sure, if you appreciate history. And, and some of the current players today don't uh, don't even know the history of the game or, or appreciate, you know, you know some of the former players. That's what makes the game players. so lovely today. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I know you're not a big fan of uh, where, especially where baseball has, has come um, since the days that you you know, saw went to see the White Sox play and announced and and uh, well, it's I'm changed not quite of, a bit. Well, now wait. Let's be honest. Uh, and I I watch a lot of baseball during the year. You know, on TV, and I love the game. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm one of these guys that when he gets a couple of years on it says, Ah, oh, it ain't like when I was a kid. No, I, I I'm not at all like that. I just think that the owners and the players have. Uh, reflected a lot of the bad things in our own society uh namely the the word greed comes to mind and uh i just don't think that baseball the game is secondary now to a lot of the players their contract is primary and uh, it just it's just a little discouraging to see the way uh the way sports announcers people in the sports reporting business have fallen into that too. Their idea of a big story is how much uh, some outfielder for the Cleveland Indians has signed for. Now, <laughs> it would seem to me that the big story would be how good is this guy. Uh, but that's never really mentioned much. Well, I mean, when you see these these contracts, were all these guys making ten million dollars a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, because sports has become such a big business, the business angle has taken over, you know, the, the news angle much well, more I, than what's going on on the field, is unfortunately. A, is a player engaged in a, in a game or is he engaged in, in a business enterprise uh, when he's out on the field? Which is it? Well, yeah. what's he... Well, that's a good question. You know, what's he doing? Uh, you don't know what's motivating him at the time, depending on when his contract is up, when he becomes a free agent. I mean, all those questions now enter in one's mind when you're watching a game, and, and that wasn't the case before. You well, know, I agency. think also, too, that, 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 and I hate to admit it, I was for it when it first started, but it's been carried to what they used to call the, the, the ludicrous extreme. Uh, I think free agency... Uh, has really destroyed a great deal of the fabric of the game. In other words, there was a time when a fan knew who played on his team, and and almost any time of the year, you could you could go uh, go to a fan and say, "Well, now look, uh, uh, what's the starting lineup of the Cleveland Indians?" And he could tell you. 
Sure, and it's obviously not the case anymore. And, and oh no, you're just Lord, getting, no. I, hear, I heard uh, the first thing your your sports report did tonight was report all the different uh, signings they call them, the different you know different games, uh, different trades, different places guys are going to be playing. And uh, no reference to where he, he did play. Right, right. It, and I think the most the, the most ludicrous example of all that is this recent fiasco with the Marlins down here. Yeah, they just got rid of everybody. Oh, they're getting everybody. rid of everybody. You know, they're selling the guys that sell the peanuts in the stand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. Uh, you know, it's, how can you be a fan of the Marlins? There is no Marlins. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, they they come out and and win the World Series series in, in such a short period of time in their existence and then you know you want to get behind them if if you're you know if you live down there and, and you're psyched that that there's finally baseball and you know in florida and then they win it all and it's you know a day or two goes by before they start getting rid of everybody well you know first of all the guy that owns the team Heisinger, uh-huh. yeah you know where he made his money don't you uh well block Blockbuster video. Yeah, right. He, he rents pornies. <laughs> and, you know, come well, on. that's one way of looking at it, G. I mean, here's a guy. I think he was in the um, the garbage business too. Yeah. Then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he's still in that business. Yeah. So here you've got here you've got a non-baseball guy who buys this team as a business enterprise and proceeds to uh, treat it like a business enterprise. And and so baseball has become uh, like uh, you know like building cars or or uh, operating a, a lawn service company or something like that. It's just a business. And uh, and what's worse, it's a business that that masquerades as something more than that. Hmm. It used to be, but mm-hmm. I don't think it is now. Well, another point. I mean, I'm sure when you were were young, you'd bring the uh, the transistor radio to school to listen to to some of the games particularly the World Series. I mean, I mean, Ralphie seems like the kind of character who would do that. Well, today, you know, games are on too late for kids to even watch them on television. Well, I don't think that. I think most kids today stay up longer than their mothers and fathers. But <laughs> that's true. That's well, I don't know if they're really promoting the game and, and really getting young people interested. There's so many other sports and, and so many other distractions, you know, for young people. I don't know if they, they, they've really been able to capture, uh, you know, the young demographics like they like. Oh, they well, I to. don't think they ever will. Uh, my feeling is that uh, we think too much of youth anyway in this country. And I think that the that the problem is keeping what you you know keeping the crowd of people who used to be fans. That 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 is much more important than trying to get some eight year old kid to play baseball. I think that uh, you have to think in terms of of uh, of a much broader spectrum of of people who observe and listen to and enjoy games. And uh, to me, kids are the last in the line. I, I think. Uh, because uh, as a kid, I never went to any baseball games. That was far too expensive for right. me. I mean, I never went to them. We used to listen to them, mm-hmm. and uh, once in a while, we played more than we we were involved in the White Sox or anybody that was professional. We played the game all the time, 
that was where our interest was. So you, uh, instead of watching or listening, you you would uh, go out and compete and, and and play your stuff. You were you were an actual participant more yeah, than a well, fan at that time. Yeah, we thought they, you know we thought baseball was something you played out sure. there in a vacant lot. Well, I don't know if if kids are really going out and playing all that much baseball well, anymore. I, I agree. I could couldn't agree more with you. Uh, and we uh, not too far from my house here. They, there's a there's a beautiful uh, little league ballpark. I have never seen anybody playing on it. <laughs> they just don't they just don't play on it. Now now I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think today you have uh, this is a this is a chicken little society for one thing. Chicken Little was, if you remember, was the was the chicken that always thought the sky was falling. <laughs> and uh, we have a Chicken Little society, so now you have mothers that are afraid their kids going to get hurt playing something. Uh, you have uh, lawyers who are encouraging them to think that. Hmm. And uh, it's it's all it's there's no let's say the word would be spontaneity in anything now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you know you have you watch you watch your average network news, and and so much of it is about warning you about things. You know here right. what not to eat, what where not, not to, to go, exactly what not to drink, what what, what vitamins to take. <laughs> Do I have to have Tom Tom Brokaw tell me what not to eat or what to eat? But that's what the way people are today. So sports has fallen in in a sense. Well, perhaps you're overloaded with information. Too much information. Well, that may be it. Uh, it's too much negative information. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And I think I think people who who uh, used to just go out and play ball, they didn't care what their mother thought about it. Uh, my mother didn't even know what we were doing. <laughs> we just went out and played ball. I never came yeah. back and and told her that I got hit in the back of the head with a bat, right? Or anything like that. Well, I don't know. I think most kids now have so many other options. And, uh, well, what makes you think we didn't have that? Well, I mean, but now you know they're they're, they're playing soccer, they're going rollerblading, they're playing well, wait a hockey. Minute. We 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 roller skated constantly. Uh, we ice skated all the time. We played hockey. Uh, we played football. We played. I can name name five different. We played basketball. Everybody had a had a hoop in his backyard. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you could change anything about the game of baseball today, what would it be? What would I change? Yeah. Well, God, that's a that's like uh, asking me <laughs> about that's how a loaded solve question, the problem. Right? Solve I the want pro- you to I want you to become commissioner of Major League Baseball. And <laughs> well, they they listen. They could use a commissioner, but I don't think today it's like you know. There's a there's an old uh, fable. It's a it's a it's a great fable that. Uh, that uh, tells us a lot about what happened. What's what's the problem today? It's called the, the the legend of Pandora's box. Did you ever hear of that? Yeah, I've heard of Pandora's box. Yeah. Well, that's Pandora's box. Is a, it was a box, and uh, Pandora was uh, was warned not to open that box. <laughs> well, of course, naturally, she had to do it. So she opened it, and all these evils came out. Incredible crowd of evils. But you couldn't get them back in the box. That was the end of that. It was forever. Right, right. And, and I think that we have done so many things to change a lot of sports, not just baseball. Let's, let's face it. Uh, and you can never reverse it. Yeah, we've opened yeah. up the Pandora box of greed. It's too bad. The well, first, the first 
uh, utility infielder that hit 210 to 10 last year who signed for $3 million. I taught a lesson to everybody. All right, all right, the mediocrity. Yeah, it's, we've made mediocrity very, very, uh, it pays well. Wow. Well, we're going to, if you don't mind staying on for uh, a little bit longer, we're going to take calls for you. I have. Yeah, I don't like to, I don't like to be in the, in the sense an editorialist here. I'm an entertainer. Okay. Well, we're going to take calls for you when we come back after the update. We've had, we have people hanging on. They, they want to talk to you. They want to ask you some questions. So, um, stay where you are. Or I'm you may want to, you may want to go get a cup of coffee. I've got one. Oh, great. And we'll come back with the legendary Gene Shepard right after the update. At 2 o'clock, don't go away. United Six on the fan. It's the Jim Fossil Show. For one brief moment, I saw all the bulls silhouetted against the lights of the traffic, and then they were gone. Oh. Fudge. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word. The big one. The queen mother of dirty words. The F dash 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 word. What did you say? Uh, um. That's. What I thought you said. Go on. It was all over. I was dead. What would it be? The guillotine hanging, the chair, the rack, the Chinese water torture? <laughs> Mere child's play compared to what surely awaited me. <laughs> Glory back with you on the fan. 205 is the time. And welcome back to our very special holiday show featuring the legendary Gene Shepard. And that last cut you heard is from a Christmas story in which Gene narrated and, and wrote. And that's one of my favorite scenes when um, <laughs> Ralphie tries to help his father change the tire and uh, drops the screws. Yeah, drops the nuts into the, the snowbank. And uh, lets out a um, a little obscenity. <laughs> See, if you notice, though, it was the old man who actually blew. He pulled his hand up like that and knocked that, uh, that hubcap. <laughs> but he blamed the kid. I know. Poor Ralph could never win, <laughs> I tell you. And the mother was great because you know, her sensitivities came out. And she would, would, would do almost everything she could to protect Ralphie. <laughs> well, she was... She was funny. Uh, she had two two hats all through the picture, you know. She uh, that that the, that was Melinda Dillon who uh -huh. played that role. She was good at it. I thought she was very good, and I thought Ralphie was terrific. Yeah, that uh, well, we we saw him on a commercial. Uh huh. We picked him off of a commercial where he played a character called Messy Marvin. Huh. And he was really you know funny. It was a commercial. He played Messy Marvin, and. Uh, we thought, you know, this kid looks pretty good. He's got the right look. So we uh, we auditioned him, and he had the right look, and uh, there he was. But he's done nothing since. Yeah, I wondered what he has been in. His name is um, Peter Billingsley. Billingsley, yeah. Yeah, and he just had such, I thought he did such a great job. He had well, such an he, expressive face. Well, like a lot face. of people, he had 
he had great talent when he was a kid, mm -hmm. as a kid. Uh-huh. You know, he could play a kid great, but when he stopped being a kid, you know, there he was. Yeah. Uh, uh, too many too many actors uh, have that problem. You know, kid actors, they, they don't make it as they get a little older. And Ralphie uh, did not uh, make the transition. But he's about six feet three now. And, uh, he's he's a cop, yeah. Is that right? That's right. He's, he's 63. Yeah, he's big. Oh, six foot three. Okay. Six foot three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go to the phones. Uh, we've had some fans patiently waiting. Let's start with uh, Dave from Queens, and we'll work our way down the line. So, hey, Dave, you're on with Gene Shepard. Hey, Ann. Hello, Gene. How are you? Hello, Dave. Gene, I've got to tell you, this is like a dream because uh, in the early 60s, um, you lived in a building that my uncle owned in the village. <laughs> I'll be damned. I know, it's the truth. Um, his first name was Lee? I don't recall. <laughs> I can't remember my New York landlords. That's okay, no problem. <laughs> in any event, um, the God's honest truth is that I used to listen with the transistor radio, uh, with the earplug, and listen to your program for, for years and, and thought you were God. And I went to a party at my uncle's house and... Uh, uh, Looking down at your apartment, we knew you were home because your light was on, and I kept begging him what to call you. What the building was this, anyway? <laughs> uh, Are you sure it was the right building, Dave? No, no, definitely, no, no, and definitely okay, no. Okay, all I right. made TV commercials, yeah, I, I, I know. All right. Um, so did you ever meet no, Gene and, when he was here no, in New York? No, and that was, that was my, that's why this is a dream, because uh, I begged my uncle, please call Gene. I, I got to see him just for a minute, please. Can we knock on his door? No. Can we call him, please? You know, we don't want to disturb him, you know. <laughs> And I wanted to see Gene so badly. I bugged him all night, and Aww. of course, that never worked. Well, now you have a chance to say hello. And, and Gene, I've listened to you for years when you were on WR, and I, you just were so, I was incredulous, you know. I'd listen to you, and I'd... I'd did you enjoy, so thanks, Dave, did you enjoy, Gene, the, you did the overnight hours for a number of years, right? The, the two to five shift, or the midnight to five shift? Uh, I did that one summer. Uh-huh. Oh, just uh, one summer. Uh-huh. One did, summer. It just seemed longer. Did you enjoy that? I mean, did you, was there something uh, well, special or different know, about that time slot? It was a job. I, uh -huh. I didn't think of it uh, anywhere. Uh, you know, did I enjoy being on late at night? I, yeah, it was okay. I enjoyed it. I mean, because there's obviously a different kind of listener who... Well, I you, didn't worry about the listener. Uh, you didn't That's think. one thing I, I always uh, did in my work. I, I worked completely for myself and i never said to myself well listeners are different now than they are at two in the afternoon i just assume that all human beings are pretty much alike would you share the story of uh i libertine oh that would take the rest of the night <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to do it and but uh -huh. oh man that's a long story but it, it was the i guess one of the greatest literary hoaxes in history so, um, yeah, it's been it's been called that. Yeah, yeah, and I just so enjoyed reading about it. Maybe we'll I'll I'll be able to share it, you know, after uh, after we take some calls. Let's say hi to uh, Donald from Stony Brook. Hey, Donald, you're on with Gene Shepard. Uh, good evening or good morning, Ann and uh, Gene. It's a pleasure to talk to both of you, with both of you. Thank you. Um, I'll make a couple comments and then ask a question. Uh, first off, I remember growing up as a child listening to you on WR and falling asleep, so I usually only got about halfway through the stories, and then I'd fall asleep and never never heard the end. But uh, That's just as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, read a couple of your books, Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters, a great book as well as In God We Trust All Others Pay Cash. I really enjoyed them. But the one question I had was, 
Have you ever written or do you plan on writing any fiction or non-fiction book on sports? On sports? Uh, exclusively on sports? No. Oh, no, no, no intention of doing that. Yeah. You have such a, a, a history of, of, of sport in your life. You, you don't uh, have any intention of doing that, huh? I don't have any interest in writing about sports, no. Uh-uh. Okay. Thanks, Donna, for your call. I appreciate it. Bye. Let's say hi to uh, Steve from Brooklyn. Hey, Steve, you're on WFAN with Gene Shepard. Hey, Shep. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I thought you'd say Excelsior. Oh, no, no. It's the listener who says Excelsior. Well, I'm a listener. And you well, then you go. holler it. Let's hear it. You, Excelsior! There you go, <laughs> you, you fathead. All right. Now, you have to know, I can't tell a story about my childhood unless I start off and I say, now I'm a kid, see? <laughs> okay. You, your stories are so good. I got all your records. I've been to, I played the kazoo Dan with you. doesn't know brother. that I made records. Wow, you know, I did not mention the records in the uh, in the intro. That's probably the only thing I missed. Oh, well, you also missed a movie that he wrote called It Runs in a Family. Oh, well, I told you. I mean, the more I learn about Gene Shepard, the more I, I know that there's more to learn about Gene Shepard. So you guys will teach me. <laughs> I, I just need to ask, I mean, because I've been a fan a long time, and, you know, I, I hate to say this because the records are out of print. I tape them for friends. But are you going to do any more? Are we going to get some more Shepard? Uh, not that kind of stuff, no. Uh, I'm, Books? I'm working on a movie deal. Oh, great. And a couple of things. You see, that was back in the days when I did nightclub stand-ups. I've been to the limelight. Great date night. Yeah, that was a good show. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm not doing any stand-ups anymore. Uh, that's, that stuff has kind of disappeared. The clubs have disappeared, really. By the way, you're flying? Am I flying? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I have a plane, sure. I remember you used to once in a while to catch out. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, Jeff. All right, you take care. Let's say <laughs> hi to... Boy, they're just all calling in wanting to... He's an interesting guy, that guy. Yeah, he knows all about you. Bruce from Bayside, good morning. Good morning. Morning, Chef. How you doing? Yeah, there you go, Bayside. <laughs> well, you still have me looking on the map for home in Indiana, you know. Well, there's no such place. <laughs> no, but you made it so you know real that it has to be there. Well, uh, uh, to me, a writer always has to make his stuff real. Yeah. You know, you should believe that there's such a place. Did but Holman, Indiana, was a composite of about oh five or six northern Indiana towns, like Gary and Hammond, and places like that. I East guess. Chicago and, and Whiting. The, oh yeah, Garden of the of, of the Nation. Ah, did he, did he, did he, did he ever mention the 1919 White Sox to you? The what? The 1919 White Sox, you know, the Black Night? Sox. Well, that was before my time, well before because my time. Because it must have been like a curse over there since it was 40 years since they ever got into another World Series. No, well, I, I tell you, no, that, my father used to mention it once in a while, but, uh, he wasn't one of these guys that, that grieved over it. I, I have a feeling that if my father had played on the White Sox, he would have been the first to throw the game. <laughs> uh, he, he would have been one of the eight indicted, I guess, right? I think so. But uh, no, I never, never, uh, that never occurred to me because you know when you're a kid, you're only interested in what's going on now. And as a kid, you know, I'd hear the White Sox, you know, and I'd listen to you know Luke Appling. I remember the day when Luke Appling was playing shortstop, and the announcer Bob Elson said, you know. Luke, uh, out there at shortstop, that he is old enough to be the father to the kid that's playing second base, Chico <laughs> Carrasquel. <laughs> that kind of got me, you know. <laughs> but I remember that comment all these years, that, that, that remark. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, the, the White Sox and the Black Sox, 
the Black Sox was like ancient history, you know, to, uh, to, to people at the time when I was a kid. It was like bringing up the second battle of Bull Run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you get much excitement about it. Bruce, right. thanks so much. Thanks very much. Yeah, Take thanks care. for calling, Dan. You're welcome, Gene. Let's say hi to uh, John from New Brunswick. Hey, John, you're on with Gene Shepard. Hi, Ann. Hi, uh, Mr. Shepard. Hey, that's a great diner you got there at the New Brunswick Circle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you did that big-time thing on the Circles in New Jersey. Uh, again, I, uh, I am a big fan of yours. I, I did the, uh, the... I tried to sneak into the limelight when I was younger. I'm, I'm, I'm 49 now. But uh, those days in the, in the uh, limelight... In, in Listen, that was... I, uh, at that time, I think, if this is just, you know, passing opinion here from a pro, but at that time, I thought we were going through a period of absolutely unparalleled creativity in all the arts in New York City. Absolutely. I mean, it was just fantastic. You know, I'd be playing down at the limelight, and down the street there was a club, uh, Freddie Weintraub's club, and, and Bill Cosby would be playing there. There were several other stars. What a time there. it must have and been. And down, uh, oh. down at the limelight, where I, I used to play at the Vanguard, and, and here was Stan Getz doing background for me. I believe oh. Bob Dylan was down in, in Bob Dylan doing... was there. We were yeah. all down there at the same time, and, I you know, we didn't realize at the time it was really kind of historical. Absolutely. I, that's why I, I loved it. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. just absolutely I great. I mean, do, you and, miss, uh, do you miss that that kind of electricity, that the kind that you were describing when, when well, you Well, I think, the, uh, yeah, well, of course you do, uh, but I think it's like everything else. It's like the fall of Rome and... <laughs> other things. It was the time for New York. Uh, we had we had great people in every every field. I mean, uh, you had guys writing plays on Broadway, like like. Well, it was the time of Tennessee Williams. He was working. Uh, used to come into the limelight, by the way. Uh, you know, you had all kinds of stuff going on in the in that time at that point in history. Now you know you can't go back. Yeah. I mean, that was it. I was sure. just I was just proud to have been part of it. That's all. Let's say hi to uh, Mark from Rockland. Good morning, Mark. You're on with Gene Shepard. Good morning, and nice to talk to you again. Thank Mr. you, Shepard. It's a it's an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. Uh, as Ann knows, I've been in radio myself uh, for about two years now, and was an actor for ten years. Uh, was an athlete uh, sometime before then, and probably. One of my favorite movies of all time is A Christmas Story. Well, thank you. I knew I liked you, Mark, for some reason. I, you know, <laughs> I, when I, I work, when, it, when, when you talk about in the film, when you're narrating and you're talking about breaking glasses. Now, I wore glasses the whole time when I was a kid. And breaking your glasses, I mean, you could have 900 stitches in your head. But if you broke your glasses, forget it. I mean, oh, that was, boy, that, that was, was it. <laughs> that was a prime <laughs> capital offense. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, now, I, obviously, I, I didn't, you know, grow up with you. Uh, Doesn't make any difference. You grew up with glasses on your head. But <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I, the, 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 just, you know, it, it's... It's you, see how, you see how uh, nervous he is about that right now, Ann? <laughs> it brings you. back all those feelings, huh? Poor <laughs> guy, do you wear contacts now, Mark? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I do. Uh, well, that's good. You're over the fear. But uh, I have to say that, um, you know, having the opportunity to, to talk to you uh, is, is, 
it's just, you know, it gives me hope in my career that, you know, people have always said, you know, Mark, you need to focus on radio or you need to focus on this. You need don't to focus don't on listen that. to a word of what other people say. Yeah, and uh, One just, word I can give to anybody uh, for a career, do your thing. Don't let people, uh, you know, steer you. Because they're not the ones that are going to suffer from it later. That's true. Trust your own instincts. Uh, you know what? I, I, this, is, this, is, this has been great. Thanks again, Thanks, Mark. Gene. Have a great one. We're going to take a quick break, come back to one more segment with the legendary Gene Shepard. It's 2.20. Let's go to the Sports Flash and Don LaGreca. WFAN 2020 Sports. Thanks, Dan. WFAN New York. Exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. Are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole, that's dumb. That's because you know it sticks. He's full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like double dog dare you. Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple dog dare. I triple dog dare you. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. <laughs> I love that scene as well. Of course, it's Gene Shepard narrating a Christmas story, and, and that scene was great. I, I tell you, another one of my favorite scenes, Gene Shepard, was uh, when Ralphie's younger brother is, you know, his mother's putting on his snowsuit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> and, the and, kid, yeah. And they're just, you know, she's fighting, struggling, trying to get this, this snowsuit on. And uh, he, I mean, he literally could not move. He couldn't. He couldn't put his arms down. And the, the mother would would try to get his arms down, and the arms would just automatically go back up. And then they're running down the sidewalk. He falls in the snow, and he can't get up because his snowsuit is so heavy. And it's you know again. I mean, there's, there's such great American stories with with scenes that all of us can can absolutely relate to from our childhood. Well, okay. I understand they're going to be playing a uh, Christmas story. Uh, for several days there in New York, is that right? Yeah, at least uh, 12 days. I know no it was kidding. already it was already on a couple nights ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Turner owns the rights to it now, and and they've been uh, they're going to be repeating it over. And I mean, every year they do, but this year they I know they they've got at least 12 going. Oh, that's wonderful. I, you know, Ted Turner. I know from people at uh, in Atlanta in his organization. It's one of his all-time favorite movies. Oh, it must be. <laughs> and uh, even Jane likes it. She doesn't like much. <laughs> you know, I know I Jane. And yeah, all. I know, I know. Well, but, you know, uh, go ahead. I'm just going to say I'm very pleased that they're showing it there in New York all this, you know, all this throughout this this uh, season. Yeah. It's, it's really a, a it's really a compliment, and I I appreciate it. You know, you were talking about the, one of the biggest heroes of your career when you were driving upstate and you, you picked up the front page and there you saw, you know, how successful the Chris, uh, Christmas story did in its opening. And, and what about if you looked back, though, um, with all the, the, the things you did, um, could you name what might have been your biggest regret? Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, I can name a couple of romantic regrets. I, had. <laughs> I guess we all could in that. Bad marriages and stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, I think yes. Uh, looking back on my career, I was offered uh, at one point in my career, I was offered a a, a TV show in L.A. 
and uh, they wanted to do a sort of a comedy late night show. Uh, it was like the forerunner to uh, to uh, Johnny Carson's show hmm. at night. Mm -hmm. But it was in L.A. But unfortunately, I was madly in love with a New York girl at the time. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I turned it down. And I've See, always regretted it. <laughs> always regretted it. Is that right? So you well, can, sure, you because... Can, that would have been a great as well. Let's face it, TV uh, has a lot of uh, clout to it. Sure, sure. Were and, you doing the radio show at the time? Oh, I was doing a lot of things at the uh -huh. time. I, 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 uh, radio was just one of the gigs I was involved in. See, I come out of the field uh, of, of showbiz that basically says... Uh, Never turned down a job of any kind. And so I was working in all kinds of areas just merely because I knew that there was no stability in any one area. So you always got to keep everything going. Well, I know you, you've, you've done everything in acting from Shakespeare to... Uh, I mean, you really, your acting career was, I think you started as an actor, isn't that right out of the Army? Yeah. You went into acting school? Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. I went to uh, Goodman Theater in Chicago, and there were, you know, some people I knew that I, I became friends out of that experience. I became friends with people like, uh, oh, Jerry Page was there then, uh, Tom Bosley, he was there. Oh, is that right? And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a big famous outfit there in Chicago and I, I was uh, hanging around there at, at, and doing things and they they put on Shakespeare and whatnot. but right about in the middle of that I got a job doing nightclub, uh, doing a nightclub act on Rush Street in Chicago and uh, I had never done any nightclubs and so I went into the clubs and I really liked that for a while and for the, from that minute on I, I kind of left uh the field of acting until I got into New York, and when I got into New York, I went back into the clubs. I was playing the Vanguard and upstairs at the downstairs and places like that. These are all clubs uh, that were very hot at the time. And great training for everything you ended up getting into later well, on. Well, I in your never career. thought of it that way. I, I, to me, it was just, a, a, you know, I, 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 I liked doing it, and I was serious about it. But then I got other offers. And uh, took them. I played. Uh, I remember I went out of the. Out, I ran across downtown, took a cab from the Vanguard one night, and I was doing uh, a nightclub show at the Vanguard, which is down in the village, and at the same time playing in Voice of the Turtle in a Broadway theater. Oh my gosh! And so I used to hop a cab and, and fly up and down the uh, Broadway, you know, getting trying to get to the theater there. And I did it in uniform. See, the, the character that I was playing was a sergeant in the army. Uh -huh. And I didn't have time to, to change my uniform when I uh, change my costume when I got down to the theater from playing the club. And so what I would do would be to play my last set in the club in full infantry tech <laughs> sergeant's uniform and then I'd hop the cab and come uptown and and, uh, and play, uh, go right on stage and, and play in that in that play, which was a nice play. I liked it. Gee, what did you do in your spare time, Gene? Uh, <laughs> what did you do in your spare time? Well, my spare time, I uh, I, I was writing at the time. You, you asked me that. Yeah. In my spare time, I was writing in God We Trust. All others pay cash. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, there was a time when I was perpetual motion. 
Sure. Now I'm just perpetual. <laughs> so, I, I, uh, I love it. You know, I, I, I like to keep busy, and I think if you, if you find yourself doing things that seem strange to you at first, like writing a novel or like uh, playing in a play or doing something like that, uh, stick with it. It'll get to be very familiar, and uh, you won't you won't be able to tell what is your basic medium after a while. Well, you're passionate about every one of them. Phil yeah. from Howard Beach, you're on with Gene Shepard. How are Howard you? Howard Beach, oh, yeah. Good morning, Ann, and good morning, Mr. Gene Shepard. Yeah, good morning. First of all, Mr. Shepard, I would like to thank you for many hours of enjoyment on WOR. Oh, thank you. It's really a pleasure listening. And you, earlier you were making a comment about the athletes of uh, today and uh, what they were before. And I think that's perfect. It's, it's now it's the money that uh, means everything, and the attitude is something that you did not have back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, so on and so forth. And uh, this is something that is turning people off, turning kids off, and the fact that uh, you... Like with the World Series, you don't kids don't get an opportunity to uh, watch or listen because it's too late. And uh, if they don't do anything about it, I'm quite sure that uh, in the long run, uh, baseball is going to go down the tube. Well, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned Pandora's box earlier, Gene. I I don't know if 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 any of this will be reversed anytime soon. I, I wouldn't count on it. No, it won't be. No, uh, big big social changes in a in a society and never reverse themselves. They continue on in another cycle of whatever is starting, but it won't reverse yeah. itself. So I it would assume isn't. I would assume Major League Baseball won't just come up with different ways to try to attract a uh, a younger demographic. Well, I think it gets pretty <clears throat> much really much deep. But <laughs> excuse me, I have okay. a piece of sandwich in my mouth here. That's all right. I think it's a deep social situation. For one thing, I don't think uh, baseball is America's national game anymore. Which is, do you think? I is think, there? I any think pro football is. Uh-huh. I, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've watched the Dolphins down here and, and this, uh, the Tampa Bay Club, and it just, it's just a, it's a very exciting and and a unifying game. In other words, the, the players always you can count on them. You know, Dan Marino plays for the uh, for the Dolphins. Right, and he's been there forever. And it's you know you're right. And it shows no signs of, of, of you know wanting to be traded to Cleveland. <laughs> so, it's a different. It's a difference. That's right. The loyalty the loyalty is absolutely there. It's a whole whole different. Um, a phenomenon, and uh, but you know, it's it's again, it's it, with free agency and and baseball, it really did change the whole landscape. And and yet, a lot of people during the strike uh, years ago thought and and expressed on this show that they would never go back to a ball game. Oh well, ever. you can't. If you're a baseball fan, you'll go back. I mean, baseball is baseball. Yeah, no well, it's fun because yeah, you're right. A lot of people have uh, no matter how. Uh, die hard and how much they complained about the strike and what was going on outside the the line so to speak they they did go back and well some there are still some diehards who call in who say they still do not watch uh, and won't turn on the game but well, you know that, we're a very we're a very forgiving society right very forgiving my, society. look if they're doing that that's their loss i i think uh, one of the most important things that have changed 
uh, in baseball, and why a lot of kids can't really relate to it, it's become Latinized. Uh, and that's talk about being, uh, <laughs> un- let's put it this way, uh, un- unpolite politics here. But Well, they do recruit a lot of players from Latin America. I wanted to ask you, Gene, real quick, because we only have two more minutes left here, what your opinion was of the Latrell Sprewell incident. Did you ever think you'd see the day when a, a player would choke his coach or, or, or punch out his coach and, and, and people really would get behind the player? Well, that's again, that's part of the social changing in our world. Uh, it, it's like uh, it's like the O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, come on. Uh, you could get away with anything if, if you're uh, socially correct. In other words, if you fit certain uh, parameters. And uh, if the guy was white, I don't think anybody would get behind him. But uh, in any event, uh, it's it's not bad. It's not really good to see uh, things get it to the state where they defend a guy who almost you know chokes his coach. How can you defend that? Yeah, I know. It's it's just, and then people are trying to turn it into a, a racial issue, and and uh, it isn't. It, it, isn't it is right. not. Absolutely not. No, it's a social issue. You know. Uh, and uh, and I just don't like it. Let's take uh, one more call for... Let's take one more call. And then you will probably want to hit the hay, so to speak. Jim from Wayne. Good morning. You're on with Gene Shepard. Wayne. Oh, good morning, Ann. And, uh, Shep, it's a great honor. Yeah, good to see you. I'm the uh, curator of the Flick Liz Gene Shepard website on the Internet. Is there such a thing? There is such a thing. It's uh, been up for uh, about a year and a half. And, you get uh, any calls? Uh, well, I have uh, received probably 300 emails from people all around the country, most of whom from are from the New York area, and uh, we're very appreciative of uh, your work uh, in their youth, uh, myself included. Jim, how did you get involved with this? Well, I've been a, a Gene Shepard fan since my father introduced him to me in, I guess, the mid-60s. Is that right? And uh, the first time I saw Gene was... Uh, at the uh, Overseas Press Club in 1970. Oh, wasn't that a wild thing? That was uh, astonishing. <laughs> I am so glad, Jim, I'm so glad that you got on because um, I, in perusing the web, I read many of your pieces on Gene Shepard. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad I could have uh, assisted in your research. Yeah, you did a great job, by the way. And uh, I also um, uh, you know, saw Gene... Uh, at Clifton High School, Fordham University, uh, Carnegie Hall, you were all over town in those days. Yeah, boy, those Carnegie Hall shows were something, weren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. Your Seven Sins is uh, is still a, a classic in, in every respect. Well, you'll have yeah. to write about uh, Gene's appearance on the show. Uh, well, I actually put an alert up. I got an uh, email from someone in California. Oh, is and, that right? Uh, they said that you were going to be on. Uh, I was alerted by email. I put it up on the web page. And uh, and as I'm, well, I was waiting to uh, come on, I've been updating the web page. Oh, uh, isn't that great? So, so we have a live web page going here. Uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, in about f- uh, five minutes after uh, we conclude our conversation, the web page will be updated with all of uh, Gene's new re- revelations there. <laughs> we, we all greatly appreciate it there. Well, is there one question you would like to ask Gene before I let him go? I would like to ask Gene, uh, I know that you didn't appear in Princeton this year. And uh, I was wondering if uh, you were planning on making uh, a personal appearance in Princeton next year, if that was on uh, the schedule. That's, ha- that's hanging fire. Uh, I haven't made up my mind. Uh, at that time, I was having uh, a problem with an eye. I had a, an eye problem, and they were about to operate on my eye. And I couldn't really play Princeton with a problem like that. 
But, uh, yeah, I, the, the chances are yes. The okay. chances are yes. Well, I saw you in 96, uh, wrote a review for it, and, uh, and we, we, I, I must say I get at least uh, five or six messages a month asking uh, when you'll be back. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll you say... tell them that it's hanging, hanging fire, and if there's enough guys uh, out there that want me to come back, I'll be back. With my pants on fire. With your pants on fire. I'm going to quote you on that. Okay. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay, thank you. Good luck right. with your site. Keep okay, up the good work. Okay, bye-bye. You should see this site, Gene. I, I don't know if you you peruse the computer, the, the web, but... Uh, no, I never do. Yeah, I'll have to send you some of the stuff. You'd enjoy reading it. Well, okay. Listen, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. You are a delight. And, well, thank um, you, Ann. I'm just enamored with your voice and, and listening to all You're your... an elegant girl, I might add. Aren't you sweet? And um, I'd love to talk <laughs> to you down the road, and, and I would like to meet your lovely... I don't say, if you ever want me back again, uh, you know where to get me. I certainly do. Thanks again, and, and give our love to Lee as well, would you? Yes, I will, and I'm going to say good night to all of New York. I miss New York enormously. Well, come back and visit. My my favorite place and uh there's nothing like 2 a.m at the carnegie deli <laughs> <laughs> well one day we'll meet you there yeah okay <laughs> and it will be on us we'll buy yeah okay the great gene shepherd uh thanks so much for all your calls as well they're terrific we could continue to do this all night long but uh we'll hopefully get them back in the very near future it is now 2:40. time for the sports flash here's don lacreca WFAN 2020 Sports. Thanks, Ann. Of the NBA last night, Patrick Ewing 22 points and 10 boards as the Knicks made short work of the Cavaliers. Gundarina 104 to 77. Cleveland scored just 28 points in the second half after only being down by three at the half. New York had six players in double figures and their six-game losing streak on the road comes to an end. Rest of the NBA scoreboard, Indiana with a 98-90 victory over Detroit was Washington 106, Charlotte 86. Lakers hang on for a 98-96 victory over the Hawks, Atlanta's third loss this season at home. Tim Hardaway had 22 points and 14 assists. Miami on the road beat Philadelphia 91-84. And the Raptors, they end their 11-game home losing streak with a 92-91 beating of Milwaukee. Rounding out the rest of the NBA scoreboard, it was Houston 116, Sacramento 98, Portland a 96-91 victory over Vancouver. In the NHL, the Devils lose to the Red Wings in Detroit 5-4. Doug Brown, his first career hat-trick, helps the Wings to victory as they snap a four-game winless streak. Scott Niedemeyer, two power play goals, and the loss for Jersey. Earlier on Friday, the Devils and owner John McMullen announced a proposal for a new arena in Hoboken for the Devils, costing $175 million. It would be privately funded. Rest of the NHL scoreboard, Buffalo shuts out Montreal once and nothing. Pittsburgh and Colorado, a 3-3 tie. And it was Phoenix 6, Anaheim 2. Keith Kachuk, a couple of goals for the Coyotes, who before the game finally signed defenseman. Olag Tiberdovsky to a two-year contract. College basketball at the Meadowlands, the Jimmy V Classic, number 19, Princeton, a 69-64 beating of number 23, Wake Forest, and number 25, Clemson, a win over Seton Hall, 62-59. One other top 25 matchup saw number 9, Stanford, beat Pacific, 67-61. In boxing, Prince Nassim Hamed retained his WBO featherweight title with a TKOing of Kevin Kenny. That happening in the fourth round in the Garden. Both fighters hit the canvas three times apiece. Major League Baseball news, the Yankees lost Cecil Fielder. The slugger goes to the Angels. He signs a one-year contract, but the Bombers did keep Tim Raines, signing him to a one-year deal, and pitcher Graham Lloyd, who inks up for two years. And the New York Mets re-signed pitcher Brian Bohannon to a one-year contract. With reports every 20 minutes, I'm Don LaGreca, WFAN 2024. Hey, Jet fans, follow your team all year round here on The Fan. 
Sports Radio 66, WFAN New York. Or at Publishers Weekly is in shambles. And that's all from a, a book that doesn't even exist. And the story goes on, and he says in quotes, For years this guy in the 8th Street bookshop had me buffaloed. You got the feeling that he actually wrote uh, some book and that he was behind another book. And, I'm, he, and he goes on and on and on and on. Um, he said, as a woman at, at uh, a bridge party mentioned it, immediately a discussion broke out and three women decided they hated it. So all of a sudden he's created this um, major kind of uh, discussion on this book. And, um, you know, not only in this country, but internationally. And he got to the point where he said he was afraid that the president would mention it. And he said, in quotes, then I wouldn't believe in anything. <laughs> So I guess apparently they, they, this hoax continued for a number of, um, of days. And um, on a hot, humid August day, Shep got a call from a reporter on, from the Wall Street Journal. And he told him that he thought it was time to break the story. And Shep said, okay, go ahead. And the following day, the story came out, front page, middle section, and it hit the newsstands at about 3 p.m. And in quotes, the story read, at 3.01 p.m., about six countries called, and this is what he's saying, it became a worldwide story. Um, it said, he said it was, only one of, it was also one of the only stories that was reprinted word for word. He said, remember, that at no time was there any PR done for this. He said it was the, begin, it was the beginning of an attitude that people have had up to today. People up until then never questioned politicians or big government like they do now. So, you know, there was... The, the entire world was talking about this book that never existed. And uh, <laughs> it became a bestseller, apparently. Um, I guess all the profits went to charity. But I, I kind of wanted um, she, uh, Gene Shepard to tell the story. But, I mean, this is the power, this is the influence this guy had. The fact that it really became one of the greatest literary hoaxes ever in history, just based on the fact that he talked about it on his overnight show and, and urged people to go out, his listeners to go out and, and, and buy a book that didn't even exist. <laughs> anyway, that, that was uh, Shep for you, and it was just a delight to, uh, to have him on. If any of you had, uh, on another subject, if any of you saw the fight tonight, um, please call in because I was able to watch it before I came into the studio, and... Um, it was pretty entertaining, the uh, Prince Hamed fight against Kevin Kelly. I mean, first of all, this guy walks in, Hamed, and it has the most prolonged, funky entrance from a fighter I've ever seen. I mean, and the crowd loved it. They went for it. I mean, HBO certainly knows that this guy's a performer, and, and they know what they're doing, getting, the, getting behind this guy. They're paying him tons of money. They have a six-fight deal with him. They certainly know that he's going to go in there and entertain the crowd. He got the crowd in a frenzy before the fight even started, just based on the way he entered the garden. He danced behind a, a sheer screen for about seven minutes while Kevin Kelly was in the ring waiting for him. <laughs> it was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. He starts walking down the, uh, the runway. There is literally a runway from this screen to the uh, to the ring he's he's dancing he, he's getting everybody all psyched he's just moving his every portion of his of his uh body 
It was very funny. He finally gets to the ring with all these funky dance moves and, you know, lots of attitude. And he does a front flip over the ropes to get into the ring. And there he was. And meanwhile, you know, Kelly's just sitting there waiting for him. Now, how much of this was planned, orchestrated? Probably all of it. And, you know, it's hard to take these fights seriously, although both of them are, are great fighters. But you have to wonder, you know, is this kid going to lose? He has this, his huge deal now with HBO. And, you know, are, I mean, are these fights legitimate? I always, you always have to think about that. In the back of my mind, I always wonder about boxing. But in this particular fight, each fighter was knocked down three times. Kelly was finally counted out at about 227 in the fourth round. But, I mean, that, it was a slugfest. It was very entertaining to watch. They said right after the fight that uh, Hamed said he'd give uh, Kelly a rematch. Hamed retains the WBO featherweight championship. And he remains unbeaten now in 29 fights with 27 knockouts. So if anybody saw the fight, please uh, give me a call because we can talk a little bit about that. And the other subject of tonight is um, we had John Rollins on from the Sporting News, the editor, who uh, came out with their top 100 list. And uh, Michael Jordan, first athlete ever to be named number one. There's 100 people listed. Michael Jordan is number one. Rupert Murdoch is two. David Stern is three. Dick Ebersol is four. Ted Turner is five. Michael Eisner is six. Phil Knight is seven. Steve Bornstein from uh, ESPN, ABC Sports is eight. Uh, uh, two guys from um, General Motors are nine because of all the money they're spending in advertising on the networks. Paul Tagliabue from the NFL.